human beings have always struggled with spiritual hunger. Some of you, since you were children, you have felt that tension and that, that place. But only Jesus offers us satisfaction for our hunger. The Lord's Supper, which we're going to do together in just a little while, is eating in communion with God. This is the satisfaction that we desire. But I think the ritual around this, this moment, uh, communion, Eucharist, the Lord's Supper, whatever your background <laughs> language is, sometimes we try to uh, put within it some significance that we don't naturally feel. And I want you to know you're free from that today. We're going to explain what's happening when we uh, together partake in this act of worship. It's a beautiful thing. But you don't have to go to your flesh and try to conjure up anything or for this to be as big a mystery as it is. There is absolutely a mysterious element to it. This is the satisfaction we desire. It is the thing our hearts long for because we will find our satisfaction only in Jesus. And you can take it from a guy who looked in lots of other places. The major theme of the Last Supper is hunger and satisfaction. I really got fascinated with this event over the last couple of weeks and noticed something again just this past week. You know, in speaking, Jesus, uh, he brings up... Um, the Israelites, as they wandered, and they're, and they're starving, they're in the wilderness, and God met their need with manna. And one of the symbols, one of the signs or shows, hey, I'm with you, I have not forsaken you, and I'm never going to, was through food. He provided energy and sustenance with manna that fell from heaven. Jesus uses that physical hunger as a picture that they all understood. It's this metaphor for satisfaction. And you know that satisfaction. I think eating or being filled is the perfect analogy. When you've just finished a good meal and it was the perfect size and it's just like you like it, it's a long day maybe of being hungry, you feel satisfied. But then after you eat, it only lasts for a little while, right? It just, it, it goes away. For the last 36 days, um, we've been, you know, we went through COVID and we lost our taste and our sense of smell. And we thought, what a perfect time to kind of get a little more disciplined with our eating. And we chose, you know, there's like a bazillion kind of food plans. I'm trying not to say that word. It's just sensible eating. We chose Weight Watchers. You know, it's an old proven standby, and it does the same thing that all the other plans do, but instead of calling it calories or whatever, it calls it points. And then you get some, I get 23 points a day. Now, when you go into this, you convince yourself, you know, at dinner, we sit down and 
make these low point meals or you know we eat these linguazines you ever had those in the boxes and when the first week you eat those and you think this is pretty good I kind of like these these are really good and I feel good I feel fine I feel fine seven o'clock I'm fine by nine o'clock kind of wearing off by nine o'clock I'm wanting a bowl of ice cream you know by nine o'clock I'm wanting another sandwich or something. So I noticed how many points on these lean cuisines. It's just two. And I think, well, I've got six points. Let's, I'm going to eat four of these. <laughs> you know, just, just kind of like, and that's the way we are physically. And some of us are the same way spiritually. You figured out where to go to get your fix, you know, to get your blood sugar back up, to get, your, to get a little bit of satisfaction somewhere. But it always wears off. It always wears off and goes away. You can see this in how many different claims there are to the problem of satisfaction in life. Most religions uh, suggest that the answer to spiritual hunger, and this is illogical, but it's within you should deny yourself. So I'm really hungry spiritually, but if I deny myself, you'll be fulfilled. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Even some of the elements of what what we've taught or what you've grown up in have had some of that in it. Buddha is an example. Buddha said, when pleasure or pain come to them, the wise feel above pleasure and pain. I always think, okay, I'm just a redneck from Tennessee. I don't feel above pleasure and pain. <laughs> I'm still there. I can pretend to. Or I can maybe muster up that emotion for a little while. The solution that he's offering is detachment from the things of the world. Starve yourself. And in this way, you will solve your spiritual hunger. On the other side, a common secular answer to spiritual hunger is just to indulge. Indulge in all the comforts. It kind of just brings something to your soul. All the mechanisms, all the coping behaviors, all that that you've done, maybe since you were a little girl, maybe since you were a young man. Things like food, sex, entertainment, comforts. If something promises to give you happiness, try it out. After a while, I can tell you it's going to wear off. And then you're stuck with a habit or an addiction or, and everything that spins off that. The problem is that both of these approaches, abstinence and gluttony, are of the flesh. That's just your flesh. And you know where that leads? It leads to death. Jesus offers another approach. To this problem of spiritual hunger in, in this passage that we're just going to refer to today, he does this with really unusual words, words that actually confused, kind of baffled the people of that century. And when they wanted to um, persecute Christians and find something, you know how the media, if they don't like somebody, this newscaster doesn't like that person, and this one doesn't like that. 
So they just dig up, they just find the most ridiculous things and go, ah, look at this. You think, really, seriously? You know, and, and, but we just do that. Same thing was happening then. One of the accusations leveled against early Christians was, well, you know they're cannibals. What? Yeah. They eat people. They eat babies. This was actually something like, for instance, Justin Martyr had to go before the authorities and to explain, no. No, 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 we don't do that. That is this rumor that got, and it's, it's, it's absolutely so false. But where it comes from is right here in John, in verse 40, excuse me, 53. It says, very truly, he says, seriously, pay attention. I tell you that unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. It sounds a little morbid, a little gory, doesn't it? This is not starvation. This is not overindulgence. This is coming to the only place of fulfillment. The only place you will ever be satisfied is with Jesus. So here's the part where I got fascinated because this image... This idea of eating, it's like the entire storyline of the Bible. Think about it. How many stories, how many events, some which have not even happened yet, you know, in, in, in future, in end times, have something to do with eating. Going all the way back to the very beginning, in the book of Genesis, Human beings are presented as hungry creatures, and God gives them the whole world uh, as food. Have you ever been uh, to, to a big buffet? You know, a big Chinese buffet, Mexican buffet, one of those places like, um, I'm trying to think of the places that do that. They don't even do them anymore right now, right? Like, um, Golden Corral, <laughs> all right. I got some East Tennessee folks in there. And you just go up and you think, oh my goodness, all this is for me? Yeah. Or on a cruise and you think, um, we got to go on one once and, and Kathy was trying to decide between this the seafood dish and this steak dish and the server said, you want both? Yeah, I'll take both. <laughs> Bring it. And so there's just plates all surrounding us, you know. But the Bible said, you know, God said, this is all yours. This is yours. In Genesis 1, he said, Then the Lord said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They're all yours for food. Even the story of Adam and Eve and the fall of Adam and Eve centers on eating. Would you believe it? It was about eating. They ate of the forbidden tree, which was the only form of eating. This one plant, this one place, one tree. And God said, I'm not giving you that as a gift. Everything else. And whatever else it stood for, we can at least be sure of this and, and see that to eat 
of this one tree was to not eat in communion with God. When you chose that tree instead of all the, you know, the, the provision that God had given, you were declaring, I would rather be independent from you. I'm my own person. I can do this. I am like a God. And if I eat of that tree, I'll be even more independent of you. And there's something in our heart, there's something in our flesh that cries out and says, I don't want to be under. I don't want to surrender. I don't want to be in control uh, from anyone else. I want to be my own person. And the expression of that was, I, I know where to go. I will eat of that, of that tree. And that's what they did. It was food not eaten in thankfulness to God. It was food eaten for its own sake. It was one of the purest, most blatant expressions of idolatry that you have in all of Scripture. It was eating. I want you to think about this. It was eating that broke communion with human beings and God. It came through the the activity, the action of eating. Then here... In John 6, we see that, once again, eating plays a huge role again. But this time, God is offering a new meal. And to eat of this meal expresses, I am in communion with God again. Jesus did not say, I am the dispenser of bread. I am the baker. I am the provider. I am the storekeep. He didn't say that. He didn't say, I I give the bread. He said, I am. Ego, I me. I and no one else. I am the bread. Of life. Everything we eat has died so that we might live. One time I wanted to illustrate that, and so I, I set up a table here and I made my delicious, famous salsa. Many of you have read about and tried to follow my recipes. Uh, I have a whole repertoire, I have like 10 different things I can cook now. Uh, It's pretty amazing. I may come out with a book later, and we just do that for charity or missions. Um, It'll be 10 pages long. One of those is my salsa, and I make it fresh, and oh, it was so good. So I made it up here one Sunday morning, and I'm putting the ingredients in. And the idea that I wanted people to, to see, the illustration, was that everything I'm putting in there had to die. This tomato had to die, and I put it into the, you know, the food processor, the blender thing, and this, this, these onions, and these peppers, and this entire, not just, you know, like one clove of garlic, I put the whole thing in, and I was so pleased, you know, and I didn't catch that I, that I did that, and I just kept putting, you know, all my ingredients in, it was looking right, and then I had some tortilla chips up here, and I invited, I think it was Mo, you were my assistant that day. And you were so lovely, by the way. Um, he came up, and he took a bite, and I'm ready for this face. I'm ready for him to go, whoa, now that's salsa. This is better than Babalu. This is really good. This is chewy. It has nothing on you. This is delicious. All he could taste was garlic, and his eyes are watering. I'm thinking, 
you're killing my illustration. You know, this is, you're sabotaging this. And so, so I tasted it, and I'm like, oh, oh. You, you, you couldn't eat it. Kind of like soup I made the other night. I shared with people in cafe that it called for two teaspoons. Well, I put in two tablespoons. More is not always better. <laughs> I mean, it was just so salty we couldn't eat it. You know, there, there's all these, ing- these ingredients. And those ingredients, when, when you eat bread, not only did the grain die, but then this bread is broken into pieces to be consumed. And when the bread is broken and you take it in, you live. Something has to die for you to have life. We understand that on every level, on physical level especially. When Jesus says, I am the bread of life, I am broken for you. He is drawing us to a place of spiritual satisfaction and nourishment. He is saying this. I am God-breakable, vulnerable. I die that you might live. I am shattered so that you can be whole. We're about to remember and honor and celebrate the Lord Jesus and his death on the cross. There's something I want to mention. Just let me say, before we transition in, into this beautiful moment, this ex, expression, expression of worship, there is a text in the New Testament, like many texts have been misunderstood, but we hear them repeated or we hear them preached and taught the same way most of our lives, so we never think, well, maybe I should read the entire passage, or maybe I should step back and think, that feels contradictory, what, what this preacher is telling me, what this Bible study leader is telling me. It doesn't feel like that fits or syncs with my theology and my doctrine, and, and I don't understand, but it's what I've always been told. Here's a passage that I think fits into that category. It's one that's familiar to a lot of you. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and it's really this whole passage, but I'm just going to read a couple of verses because this is the basis for a thought or an activity that I want you to have more clarity about today. It says this, Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For whoever eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. And there was a lot of judgment in the Corinthian church going back and forth between these classes and between the races and between the traditionalist and those who were just stepping into this and had skipped over Judaism. It was a mess. I don't know what your church history is, what your story and your background. I didn't grow up going to church. My ancestors had been Methodist. Um, my grandfather began going to a Baptist church. 
Um, when I began to walk with the Lord, I checked out every kind of church. I had a friend, and we just made an adventure of it. And so we went to any kind of church we could hear that was different. We went to churches that were racially different, and we went to churches from every denomination we could find around close to where we, we lived. And we would just be fascinated with that. Uh, we went from Catholic to charismatic and everything in between. But I gravitated back toward the Baptist church because of the doctrine. When I read, even then, that, you know, that version of Baptist faith and message, and I looked at scriptures, I thought, wow, these people take this very seriously. They're not having as much fun as that group over there, but they're getting the, I think they're getting the word right. And they loved missions. Every little church we visited, everywhere we'd go, they're just talking about missions and reaching people with the gospel. And I was, my heart was just drawn to that. I thought, wow, I think they get it. I became a Baptist. Other denominations have a similar view of this. You may have been taught that when you come to the Lord's Supper, right before you partake, you, you hesitate and you are to review and to confess any sins that you've committed in the last few days or weeks or since you last took communion. We'll use that kind of as a marker. And all the sins I've committed from that point until now, I kind of need to go back over those as best if I can remember them. Uh, I don't remember a lot of my sins. I try to forget them. <laughs> People around you remember them, right? You know, your mom will remember. Do you remember yesterday? No, I don't remember. Oh, yeah. yeah. In other words, until you've done that, you are not worthy to partake. Is that really what Paul meant for the Corinthians to do? Is that maybe what you've been doing your whole life? Me too. Is that what makes us worthy? There's my question. Is that what makes us worthy? Because that's not what the gospel teaches. That's not what Jesus taught. That's not what Paul taught. That's not what any of the scriptures teaches me. Paul was addressing a very specific problem that was occurring in the church. Back then, they didn't have a little wafer and a thimble-sized cup of grape juice. They sat down to eat an entire meal together. I have done this. I have friends in Latin America who follow this tradition. And we have this big meal. And there's laughter. And there's talk. And there's worship. And there's testimony. And it's just beautiful. And then at the end, they bring this chalice out. And they bring this bread. And they break it. And it's all part of this meal worship experience. And they invite neighbors and family and friends to come in. And the house is just bulging with people. They do it every Friday night. Some of the folks were arriving early, just like our potlucks, because that's the best thing I can think to cross-reference this in modern times. They got downstairs early. You know, they, they got there quickly in line. 
and they got their styrofoam plates, and they filled up. And they ate up all the best food, or sometimes all the food. You ever get to a potluck? You ever get to a picnic, and you get up and you think, oh, mama's potato salad's all gone. You ever go down to the chili supper that we will have again <laughs> one day? You know, we're, we're, getting, we're moving back. You know, we're moving back. But, you know, you ever get to the one you kind of, and it's empty? Mine's always empty so fast because that's one of the ten recipes that I have. You've been there. This is exactly what was happening, okay? There's the picture. They're eating up all the food. They're drinking all the wine. The poorest people in the community show up to find there's nothing left. This had become such a problem that it was tearing apart their fellowship because it was accentuating the wealthy people and the poor people, the Jewish people and the Greek people. Everything that Jesus had done, the cross, the gospel that had pulled in, in an incredible way these people from diverse backgrounds in history, everything had done to pull them together, this meal was pushing them back apart again. The entire event had become a mockery of this respectful, lovely celebration of the body and the blood of Jesus. So Paul told them, and if you read it in context and pretend you've never read it before, and just read it. It says, Paul told them to examine the manner in which they were conducting themselves at the meal. It was never about bringing a laundry list of recent sins to God before you're qualified to partake. Now, I'm not against confession. I do. But this practice was only invented much later in a medieval Catholic church. And even after the Reformation, when we began to do things based out of grace... We carried over. We brought with us because it's so hard, right? When you've grown up in an environment or you've lived in a way, some of you, you're going to grow up right now as in high school, you're going to think, I'll never be like my mama, you know, or my daddy. I'm never going to be like my daddy. And then you get about what? About 20, 30, and something comes out of your mouth, and one of your friends or your husband or wife says, you sound just like your daddy. You go, <gasps> and you didn't even realize that you brought that in. We brought in things to church and didn't really understand that we were mimicking something and without stopping to think, wait a minute. I believe this is one of those, those ideas. Relying on my memory or how guilty I feel about my sins would be a complete loss of the whole meaning of what this supper is about. Jesus died for our sins. And like we just sang a moment ago, the cross is absolutely the only thing that makes you worthy. You are a blood bought child of grace. You don't. In fact, you can't 
do anything <laughs> to get forgiven and cleansed over and over again and they build back up and you've got to get rid of them and that's not salvation by grace. The entire purpose of doing what we're about to do is to remind us. And that's why this was so groundbreaking. That's how Jesus took this what was about to be obsolete Passover meal, and he changed it into something completely different. Because it tells us we are already saved. You are already forgiven. You are already clean. And you know it's true because your spirit's telling you that right now. Hebrews 10.10 We have been sanctified. You're as sanctified as you're ever going to get. How did that happen? Through the offering of the body. The body of Jesus that was broken. Then what does it say? Once and for all. He'll never go back to the cross. You'll never have to keep getting saved. Keep going back. Being baptized over and over. No, he said, you do that once. But you can do this as often as you get together if you want to. This is the picture. This is what I've given to you. To celebrate the fact that you're in Christ. That you're in Christ. Not because of anything you've done or ever will do. Because of His grace. Because He's already done everything necessary. You're free to partake. And it sounds outrageous. It feels to me like, oh Lord, but Lord. He goes, I know. But I didn't die just to forgive the sins that you did when you were a boy or a teenager, or a young man, or even an old man. He said, I went so far as to die for the sins that you have not even committed yet. And you know what? I forgive you. How can it be? Amazing grace. So we celebrate that now. We're going to do a song together, and what I'm going to invite you to do it's just to come up and to get one of these cups. These are sterile. This one is about to be touched with a human hand, and this will be mine. Um, but there's a, a little plastic layer. You pull that back, and the wafer's on top. We're going to take that first, and we're going to do it together after you've returned back to your seats today. And then we'll pull the next tab up, and we'll drink the fruit of the vine together. And then we'll sing a hymn, and we'll go out. And this is today how we will celebrate communion, the Lord's Supper, together as a family, as a body of Christ. And even if you're not a member of this church, we invite you. You're part of us today. So if you would, as we sing this, just come and get this, return to your seat, and then we'll, we'll do the next step.